Welcome sentient beings from all known universes and beyond. It's time to activate your cranial downlinks and prepare to receive a raft of discussion on a cosmic ocean of science fiction and fantasy topics, interviews with local area genre devotees, and insightful prognostication by our soothsayers of science fiction, our forecasters of fantasy, and any other beings that happen to get caught in our gravity well. This is the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> okay, I did it again. So this Not time I any better. <laughs> <laughs> no. This time I I uh went to unmute myself and it automatically unmuted myself a moment before I clicked, so I ended up muting myself again. All right. Uh hello folks. <laughs> Welcome to another another episode of Galactic Driftwood Podcast. I'm Bill. I'm Linda. Oh, I'm Seth. And I'm Chris. And uh, on this episode, because we're uh, releasing this on uh, First Contact Day, uh, we thought we'd uh, we'd go full out uh, Star Trek. So I'm sitting here on the uh, bridge of the USS Millennium Falcon, and I've got my trusty uh, sonic phaser. And I'm just trying to troll everybody that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that has issues when people conflict things. So. Uh, we're taking a little uh, little uh, liberty with uh, some fun here this morning. But anyway, it is First Contact Day and uh, April 5th, which uh, commemorates the, uh, the moment that the Vulcans first made uh, contact with Earth after Zephram Cochran um, uh, breached the, uh, the warp barrier so on the first warp flight. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, which ended recently, and then uh, where we are with Star Trek Picard, which we're uh, four episodes in now. Um, so let's start off with Discovery. And I know uh, Chris and Seth aren't fully, fully caught up on that or fully completed uh, the series. But um, I thought this was by far uh, the best series. I mean, they've really kind of hit their their stride here i thought uh this yeah. season um really happy with what they've done with it uh being in the future and i i love the fact that they've actually breached the galactic barrier and gone outside our galaxy um to encounter a different species and i think um chris you know being a, a big star trek fan that you are you'll probably remember there was one um, TNG episode where they were racing around trying to beat the Cardassians and I think the Klingons and the uh, Romulans to try to find this ancient artifact mm -hmm. and because it was supposed to be some ancient weapon and when they finally figured it out and got it all together what it did is it released a hologram that said they were a species that seeded DNA throughout the galaxy which sort of explained why there were so many um, uh, species that look right. similar, similar arrangement of limbs. Yeah. They all look yeah. humanoid, basically, essentially, right? And so it was nice in this season of Discovery where they get outside the galaxy, and now uh, we're really encountering a strange species that looks nothing like 
uh, humanoid species, right? And, and this and, is the unidentified 10C. Is that what they classified it as? Yeah, right. Species 10C. They just gave it a random name because obviously they've never contacted them before. So they don't know uh, really what we're facing. And uh, we're, so how far in it? In so I am three? where Zora starts to have a little bit of a conscious. Oh, okay. And Zora has discovered and analyzed the data about that unidentified 10C and gotcha. is refusing to tell the crew um, where, they where it is. To go. Yep. So in that, order that's to the protect I'm on. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, in that, uh, so you, you finished that episode? Uh, I need to finish that episode, I think. Oh, okay. So, all yeah. right. Yeah. So, in, in that episode, um, uh, she she's refusing to reveal the location of the mm -hmm. species because she doesn't want to put the crew's lives at risk because she she cares for the crew, uh, essentially seeing them as part of her family. Right. And uh, so it's uh, interesting that episode because they uh, eventually Dr. Kovich comes on board and it's his job to uh, figure out if this represents a fundamental threat to Discovery's missions, right? right? And should the Zora AI be forcibly removed from the ship or, you know, um, deleted or whatever? And, um, and if not, uh, can she be integrated? And so one of the things we learn uh, in this episode that's kind of interesting is that a Starfleet has a prohibition against um, artificial intelligence being integrated into a starship. And so Dr. Kovic's job is to analyze, first of all, is Zora, does she qualify as an AI? And then more importantly, is she sentient? Mm -hmm. And so that's an interesting discussion. And uh, I think what makes it more interesting, and I, I don't maybe think you're at this part yet, but there's a whole discussion that goes on um, between Stamets and Saru and Zora and uh, uh, Culber and uh, some of the other crew members, Adira, um, about the threat that Zora uh, poses to the ship if she can refuse any orders. Yep. And um, uh, Stamets uh, says, well, you know, she's got this power of the ship. What if she just decides, you know, to vent all the oxygen out um, one time decides she's going to kill us because she's got that possibility. And we mm -hmm. want to, we want to ensure that this can't happen because she's got this power. And so Zora says, well, I, I believe I have a, a solution to this. And so she materializes uh, a device on the counter and she says, this is a device which, if you push that button, will immediately terminate my functions. It'll, it'll erase my entire... Interesting. Program. Yeah. Okay. And um, so Stamets thinks this is great, uh, but pretty much everybody else doesn't, which is nice. And in fact, Saru says, you know, I, with my access have virtually the same ability to destroy this ship or everyone on it. Right. Uh, with something. No I one's do. got a kill switch for me. Yeah. Right. You don't have a kill switch for me. 
And uh, so that, so the, uh, it, it's really an interesting discussion, the, the way this whole thing goes through. And uh, so I think you're really going to like, like seeing how that uh, evolves and um, some of the interesting points that are brought up during it. And, uh, and, and it resolves very well. And so then they um, eventually, obviously, they figure out where the, uh, the 10 CR and uh, they have to head through the galactic barrier, which we've seen in some of the earlier Star Treks, um, is uh, uh, a dangerous region to go through if you don't have uh, proper shielding and preparation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it causes all kinds of issues with increased uh, extrasensory perception and to the point where you become almost godlike in your abilities. And uh, so obviously they want to prevent that. Mm-hmm. And go ahead, Seth. Why do you want to prevent that? <laughs> well, because for one thing, it doesn't happen to everybody. It happens to a very limited subset of the crew. And the very act of becoming godlike, uh, uh, you see all of the rest of the, your, your crewmates suddenly as pesky ants. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, if you're the godlike person, Maybe you don't want to prevent it, but there's no guarantee that you're going to be the godlike person after you come out the other side. And so do you really, Seth, would you really want to serve on a ship with me as the god? (laughs) Think carefully. I mean, I don't know if there are more interesting ways for me to die. (laughs) (laughs) Valid valid point. Valid point. So... uh, I mean, if somebody says, hey, you might become a god if you do this, I'm going to try and roll those dice a few times. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, and you know what happens when I roll dice. I Sometimes I hit 100. Yeah. <laughs> Never going to hear the end of that. Of course not. No. Well, that was epic. We'll, we'll go into that on another show. Uh, Anyway, so they go through the galactic barrier, and I don't know, uh, it was a little bit of a bizarre trip through the galactic barrier, because they, there's basically, now there's like these static bubbles inside the galactic barrier that they have to get the ship inside of static bubble, and then they have to jump from static bubble to static bubble to get through safely. That's sound weird. Yeah, it was (laughs) kind of weird. Um, but I mean, I'm not uh, sure how that, else you would you would portray that. I mean, maybe that's what they came up with because they wanted to make it kind of epic, you know. Yeah. Something. Yeah. That's what they chose. But I thought they they wasted a little bit too much time on that, whereas they could have done it more like they did in the original series when they went through the galactic barrier, um, and they could have spent more time trying to understand or get to figure out how to communicate with species 10C. But anyway, they make it through. Um, they end up going to a world near where, so this, this species 10C, they have encased their solar system inside of a hypersphere, uh, which I guess is kind of like a Dyson sphere, only even more futuristic. Um, <laughs> it's like a Dyson sphere, but more more completely unrealistic than a Dyson sphere. <laughs> cooler, right? Right. It's a super Dyson sphere, better than your super Dyson duper. sphere. 
Super right. duper. <laughs> right. So uh, anyway, there's a, a, a world uh, several light years from the hypersphere that they figure out um, was most likely the original home of species 10C. So they figure, well, we'll go here. It, it appears to be a, a, a dead world at this point, but we'll go here. We'll check it out. Maybe we can find out something that might help us figure out not only how to get into the hypersphere in order to reach species 10C, but hopefully how to communicate them, communicate with them once we get there. So they, they beam down and, and they, they do manage to figure out uh, quite a bit there, which is uh, very interesting. And species 10C actually uh, communicates emotions with um, uh, something akin to pheromones, uh, the special configuration of hydrocarbons that conveys um, intent. Um, so like there's they release uh, a particular combination of hydrocarbons to express fear or huh. peace or anger Joy. or whatever. Yeah. And you smell sad. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's pretty much the way, pretty much the way they seem to work. And then um, uh, we find out later when we actually meet species 10C that not only um, that, but that they also communicate with um, uh, flashes of light. So if you imagine looking at something that maybe had, I don't know, a uh, hundred different little lights on it, and all of these lights would flash in a complicated pattern to reveal a specific message, but then these scented hydrocarbons convey that subtextual meaning uh, within that. And so it's very, uh, very cool the way they did that. It was very sciencey. I, I love that part of it that it just, that just screams Star Trek to me. Mm -hmm. And um, they managed to figure out how to communicate with the species fairly well. And um, I, I really love the way the episode end, uh, uh, the season ended. The episode was fantastic. The final episode. Um, and uh, they're kind of, you know, the sky's the limit now for uh, for uh, season five. So I'm really looking forward to that. Strongly, can't strongly recommend uh, season four of Discovery enough, uh, especially the way they brought it home at the end there. And, uh, you know. So I have seen... a question, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with this season, I you, you, you touched on something for me there, which was, they, they talk a lot about the science and the details of, of how things work in, in their world. Um, yeah. This season also took an interesting continued departure from typical things that we see in Star Trek in the political side of things. Mm -hmm. you, have, mm -hmm. you have these peace negotiations. They're trying to figure out how to rebuild the Federation and stuff. And there's one episode I was, I was actually talking to uh, Linda briefly about this before we started recording. But yeah. um, one episode where I almost started to tune out was when they were trying to figure out some negotiations between a couple of parties and there was pol politics at play trying to figure out, you know, what side was going to give in uh, to changes in demand or anything like that. And it was very much just taking a departure from something I wanted to stay engaged with. Is, do those politics continue as you get on later on or, it's, you know, what's it's so politic of... either Stacey Abrams in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That was uh, that was a kind of a surprise thing at the ending there, where they had Stacey Abrams 
um, is actually uh, mm. plays a role. She's uh, the president of Earth. President of the United Earth, from what I understand. I, yes. I'm right. not aware, really, of anything going on this season, except for the fact that Stacey Abrams was on Star <laughs> Trek Discovery. Because... I... Ted Cruz was really oh, no. mad about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Kidding. <laughs> yeah, he had a he had a tweet is like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> oh, you gotta be kidding! And I, I, just, I was just like, "Oh, don't worry, buddy. When they needed a president for Earth, you weren't gonna be. You it. were never gonna be yeah. it. You were <laughs> uh, gonna be president." No, in fact, I, you know, a rumor had it they were going to do a scene uh, with uh, Ted Cruz, no, where no. where the the DMA was coming to destroy the Earth, and he was quickly uh, leaving the planet to go on vacation somewhere with his family. <laughs> he was heading off to Riza. See, Bill, I heard another rumor that he is going to be on Star Trek because they need someone for the new Grand Negus. <laughs> and Ted Cruz would make an ideal Ferengi. He, he would. He would. Yeah. Holy well, greedy. He's got it all. Right. Yeah. Weird looking um, face. Okay. Pushing politics aside. Yeah. Well, no, so politics, uh, so to answer your question, Chris. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a lot less politics as it goes in. Uh, okay. The Stacey Abrams was kind of a cute little. Uh, addition yeah. there at the end as president of Earth. I thought it was a nice nod to the fact that, um, you know, Earth has kind of evolved to the point where a black woman can be president of the entire planet. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, but uh, but really, it gets to be more about the science and really uh, um, relationships. Uh, play a big key towards the end there. Um, mm -hmm. Rillick, who's uh, president of the Federation, um, President Rillick and uh, Burnham, uh, they start working more closely together to try to figure this out and cooperating uh, very well. And um, uh, you see uh, the dynamic between uh, Book and Tarka okay. uh, uh, evolve and get a lot more complicated. Um, and, uh, Jet Reno, um, uh, played by Tig Notaro, uh, is hilarious. She actually, uh, eventually gets, uh, kidnapped, uh, and brought on to Tarka, or book's ship. Um, and, uh, so that every scene she's in is just, uh, <laughs> really, uh, a, a treat. I think, uh, she's, she uh, brings a lot to every episode she's in and seeing her and book actually, act together uh on on the ship uh was really nice it was uh i, I love those sequences where those two were together um and uh you know uh, the whole sciencey part of figuring out this new species and mm -hmm. what are they what do they look like how do we interact with them how do we get into this hypersphere and uh you know once we're in the hypersphere how do we get out and um uh also, uh, the the last episode there, um, you know, Book has figured out that uh, Burnham and and the the crew of Discovery is actually making progress in communicating with Species Ten C, and that they really need to give this 
communication a chance, but Tarka, um, uh, really his only interest is in, in trying to get to this paradise universe that he's been trying to get to, to reunite with this missing friend of his. Mm -hmm. And um, that's all he cares about, even if it means the destruction of the entire 10 C species. And um, so there's kind of an, an interesting moment uh, where um, uh, Tignatar Tignataro's character um, manages to get off of Book's ship and gets back. And she, she, uh, meets up with Burnham and, and on the bridge and tells Burnham that, you know, um, Book says uh, he loves you and do what you have to do because Book can't stop Tarka. He's not able to stop him. And and he knows that Burnham has the ability to do so and that he basically gives her permission to end him if necessary in order to stop Tarka doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. so, um, so it's pretty good. Pretty good uh, way they ended it. Um, Tilly uh, returns for uh, a, a bit at the end, and um, she uh, plays a huge role with Admiral Vance trying to evacuate as many people as possible from Earth before the uh, the debris from the DMA hits. Uh, so it was a good episode. Kind of brought everybody back together, and there's a whole lot of action going on and a lot of suspense. What's Sweet. that? Oh, I DMA. I, I yeah, you guys are just tossing out all of this, and oh, I sorry. have no idea. I don't know why they're they're. It's so important they get into a hypersphere, whatever that is. Okay, I, yeah. So briefly, debris now coming at Earth, and I'm just <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's going on? Yeah, so you kind of have to be watching a little dimension. bit of discovery, but I'll I'll give folks sort of the uh, the. Uh, Cliff Notes version, essentially. So there's this species, 10C, that uh, lives in this hypersphere outside of our galaxy. Um, and this hypersphere, because it's so huge, requires a massive amount of energy to run. And so the species 10C has created this thing, which um, the Federation has termed a dark matter anomaly or mm -hmm. DMA. And it's essentially a mining device that the species 10C sends into a galaxy, into a what they see as a remote region of a galaxy, to mine this special uh, boronite uh, substance that they use to power all of their technology. And uh, species 10C is unaware that... Uh, humans and Vulcans and, you know, humanoid species, because we communicate basically verbally, they're unaware that we are actually sentient species and that this giant mining ship, this DMA, which is five light years across, um, is destroying our worlds and killing us all. Yeah. And, and it's very, it's like terrifyingly so. Like it's this just... Right little dark matter uh, matter anomaly that's going through our galaxy destroying everything and there's nothing you can do about it like it's just it's horrific yeah it just shows up and before you know it your planet is just shredded and uh nothing but rubble and we see that actually happen to books home books, planet yeah. of quajan mm -hmm. uh just completely destroyed so his home world now is is gone forever okay. so that? this is is species 10c 
they went around in the distant past just tossing their DNA at planets so that No, no, no. No, no, no. That's no? not them. No, no. That this so that was referencing a TNG episode that uh merely it was a totally different race that did that. Oh. And it was only meant to explain the preponderance of humanoid life forms within our galaxy. Sort of a Star Trek you know, yeah. in-world explanation of why they didn't have the technology to make more sophisticated aliens in the original series, right? Oh, yeah. Why everybody looked, the you know, Klingons, Romulans, everybody looks like humans only with different makeup. Right. Um, so, so that was an in-world explanation for that. And so I brought that up merely to say that now we're getting outside of the galaxy where we can actually oh. see different mm -hmm. types of, you know, and, and 10C is our first uh, experience with that. Right. Oh, and these, okay. Yeah. And these 10C aliens are massive and they live inside of gas giant planets, essentially. So. Um, All right. I'm with you now. I'm caught yeah, up. on the same page. A little yeah. Bit, so. Maybe. So this DMA is terrifying. And so at the end of the season and the DMA will chew up an area and then it will just disappear and then reappear hundreds of light years away mm -hmm. and start chewing up another area. And so as we get into the final couple of episodes, the DMA has emerged in a region of space that now poses a threat to um, Earth and Navarre. Uh, Navarre is Vulcan. Um, Vulcan now, uh, they've, uh, the Romulans and the Vulcans have unified, reunified, and they renamed their planet Navarre. Hmm. And so essentially Vulcan and Earth now are being threatened uh, by the uh, this DMA, which is heading their way. And so um, Book and Tarka, uh, they both want to destroy uh, the DMA and the, the thing that created the DMA at all costs. Because, of course, Book doesn't want anyone else to have to endure what he endured with the loss of his entire planet and civilization. And Tarka is just a mad scientist who wants to get to another universe and needs that energy source that's powering the DMA mm -hmm. in order to be able to transport him to a parallel universe. Plays really good mad scientist. He does. Like, I what's mean, the fun if something doesn't blow up? Come on. Right. Who hasn't <laughs> been there? Who hasn't <laughs> yeah. been there? I'm there on a daily basis. <laughs> um, I'd blow up so much stuff it would get me out of this timeline and into a <laughs> pleasure dimension. Right, right. So anyway, uh, to get to the bottom line here, uh, Discovery, I love this season. Uh, a whole lot going on, a lot of dynamics, a lot of science, some politics. I think there's something for everybody in it. And uh, the ending was really, really touching. And uh, I can't wait to see where they go in, in uh, season five. Interestingly enough, there was no sort of a cliffhanger at the end. It just all ended happily. Everybody, you know... Um, on in a lounge, uh, uh, having, having a cocktails, party. yeah, having a big celebratory party, you know, uh, everything's great. So, no signs of anything ominous for season five, but I'm sure they'll come up with something <laughs> by then, yeah. So, on that note, then a, a question then for yeah. our audience is what do you hope to see in this new unexplored end of the galaxy of the universe, uh, in season five? You know, yes. and sky's the limit. So, what do you hope to see? Right, great question, great question. Put it <laughs> so, 
<laughs> now, now I want to touch a little bit on Picard. Uh, season season two, we're four shows into Picard, and Chris, have you you've watched? Some I have not. Or... I have, I am I am I did not get to the light to the latest one yet. So no so bad. I was hoping to get up this morning and do it, but I got up too late. I've seen the first two episodes, but not the second two. Okay, the third all right. And fourth episode. I'm okay with the spoilers though, because I'm literally gonna gonna go down and watch it right after we're done here. Okay, all right. So yeah, so it it's it's uh, a really uh, an interesting season so far. So we've got, uh, you know, I don't know uh, at this point what would be a, a season of Picard without the Borg being involved, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, so in this episode or in this season, kind of starts off with a jolt, um, in where we see uh, uh, this uh, species open up a rift in space time, and they're sending a message through the rift. And um, this starship, the Stargazer, uh, they get the message, they decode it, and it's a species saying, "Help us, Picard! Help us, Picard!" And so um, the species um, also sends through um, a uh, Federation membership charter application. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, the Federation goes to see uh, Admiral Picard, who uh, actually is now the um, commandant of uh, Starfleet Academy. He's he's in that role. And so they go see him and they say, you know what? This species only wants to talk to you um, and we need you to go find out what they want. So he uh, takes a shuttle, ends up on the Stargazer and says, OK, well, let's open up a channel. And he says, this is Admiral Picard. How can I be of assistance? And uh, at that point, um, you hear uh, an unmistakable uh, sound coming through the rift or coming through the communication channel. Uh, it sounds uh, very Borg-like. And this very strange um, sort of uh, starburst configuration Borg uh, vessel emerges from the rift. And um, there's a Borg queen uh, that... They say, you know what, we need to, uh, we're weak, uh, apparently, from opening this rift or coming through. We need more power. And so they transport the Borg Queen. Red alert, shields up. Yeah, shields <laughs> up, but it doesn't help. They Too get late. through, the Borg, the Borg Queen beams onto the bridge, and these giant tentacles come out from her back and slam into consoles on the ship and start taking over the Stargazer. Now, this is not... So Picard, in his early career, the Stargazer was the first ship he served on. This is not that ship. This is a much newer ship. And um, a lot of it <clears throat> actually incorporates Borg technology that they got from this artifact or this Borg cube right. that was in Romulan space that um, they've been dissecting for, I don't know, uh, what 20 years or something like that. <clears throat> excuse me and um so of course the board queen taps in and and the board queen's like 
hmm, well, this is handy. It's got some of my own technology already in here. So not only does she begin to uh, sort of assimilate the ship, but the entire fleet that is now arrayed around the Stargazer once they found out that this was this signal was Borg-like. Um, so anyway, to save uh, the universe, um, Picard has no choice but to activate the Stargazer's self-destruct sequence. And uh, in an homage to the original series, she, uh, Picard, not she, Picard uh, uses the zero, 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 destruct zero command that Picard, or that Kirk used in the original series to uh, when he was going to destroy the Enterprise. So, so that was kind of cool. Uh, anyway, the Enterprise is destroyed. Picard, everybody's killed. Uh, but then Picard, wake, Picard wakes <laughs> up and he's back in his chateau, except it's kind of not his chateau. It's a parallel universe type of chateau. Uh, and who appears but our old arch nemesis Q. Q. Right? Qbert. And, and John um, Delancey. Yeah. And uh Chris uh and, and Seth, uh for me, this was a much darker cue than we'd seen in previous instances of next gen. I mean, he was uh, he was kind of dark in the far point of the first, the very first episode. He was a little bit. It was harsh lessons that he was trying to, to teach here. Yeah. But here, here it was dark in terms, you you kind of get the sense that you weren't going to learn a lesson. If, if you said the wrong thing in the queue, you might get killed right then and there. Right. This queue was definitely dark and something was definitely wrong. Yes. Something's definitely wrong with Q. Mm-hmm. And uh, Picard even calls that out, much to the increased fury of Q, that, you know, Q doesn't look well. Right. And um, and you'll see more of that when you get uh, to season uh, or episode four of this season. Um, now, our, Chris, are you familiar with the original series episode Assignment Earth with Gary Seven? Uh, I am familiar? not. No. Okay, so that was a time travel episode where the Enterprise went back to the 20th century, um, specifically uh, about the time when the U.S. was going to uh, uh, perform this uh, uh, ballistic nuclear missile test. Okay. And um, they went back to kind of witness this. And um, so the Enterprise suddenly appears in the past and um, in the process of doing this and they suddenly materialize there uh there's an in inbound transporter signal to the enterprise at, uh transporter room and this human appears in a suit um and i think he's got if i remember right in the episode he's got his cat with him <laughs> and uh the Enterprise, by virtue of it suddenly appearing there, intercepted this guy's transporter beam. And they're like, well, the Enterprise is like, this is 20th century Earth. There is no transporter technology. What in the hell is this? And they figure out that right. this transporter came from some distant point, I think, within the galaxy. Um, and they're trying to figure out who this guy is. He introduces himself as Gary Seven. He's a class one supervisor coming to Earth to... Uh, 
according to him, help uh, shepherd the earth through this critical nuclear uh, proliferation phase that it's getting in. And uh, so it's a it's a really good episode. I'd encourage folks to check it out. Uh, the reason I mention it is that uh, in the season of Picard, um, we find out from Q that uh, there it is. Yeah, there he is, Gary Seven, as he's beamed on with his cat Isis. Um, and um, so anyway, we see that in this, uh, we learn from Q in the second episode that this is uh, Picard finds himself in a um, a different version of his uh, world. Uh, there was a change that occurred in the past. Something happens in the year 2024 that sends, yeah, <laughs> kind of scary, right, Seth? Uh, that's, that sends the earth what down a wrong? very, yeah, sends the earth down a very uh, militaristic and um, human-centric path. Um, in fact, one of the quotes in there, uh, one of the things, uh, the, the Picard of that era is a general, and he's like a war hero. Um, hmm. He's and the he's war got, hero. Yeah, the yeah. war hero. And he's got a whole room of skulls of his enemies. Um, Gul Dukat is one of the skulls in there, or, or as I like to call him, Skull Dukat. Um, oh, God. Here we go again. Yeah, there's the, <laughs> there's the skull of Sarek. Um, whom he beheaded in front of his wife and, and son. Um, wow. Yeah. Grand Negus was there. Grand Negus. And, uh, and Picard's and the, the, the entire Earth's slogan is a safe galaxy is a human, a galaxy. human galaxy. Right. Yikes. And so anybody that's different from us is being eliminated. Um, and, um, and in fact, uh, they've also pretty much eliminated the Borg, amazingly, uh, probably because they've become such a militaristic society. They were much more prepared for the Borg invasion by having much more armored ships, I would imagine, uh, much more advanced weaponry. They weren't um, a, a civilization or a, a federation of uh, exploration mm -hmm. and discovery and science. They were, uh, I think they're called the Confederacy now, or not the Confederacy, but something similar like, to that. Yeah, the Confederation, something like Confederation, that. Confederation, yeah. right. And so they're much more militaristic, and they've defeated the Borg, and so they have the Borg Queen, and now we're on, uh, what is it, Eradication Day, yep. I think it is. Yep. And um, so one of the things to celebrate honor Eradication Day, which... Um, uh, it couldn't be more opposite than first contact day, which we're all here to celebrate, um, is, uh, general Picard is going to, uh, behead the Borg queen on stage in front of the entire planet, witnessing it via holo screen or something. Yep. And, uh, well, anyway, they managed to escape and, uh, they realized that the only way to restore the timeline to what it should be is they've got to time jump. And uh, they know that they can use the gravity of a star to time jump, similar to what Kirk did in the original series. And they reference but they that. don't have anybody handy like Spock to help them do the time jump. Uh, and they realize, well, wait a minute, the Borg Queen is sophisticated enough to be able to do that. All we need to do is take the Borg Queen up, plug her into your ship, Rios, 
<laughs> yeah, that sounds All like right. a wonderful idea. Yeah, great idea. Plug her in, let her take Give over. Give her control ship of the and, ship. Yeah, let her do what she needs to do. It's no big deal. What can go wrong here? So, yeah, like it's not like they had to leave right now. They could have been like, okay, uh, we need a Vulcan. Let's just find a Vulcan. Uh, and, well, not uh, in this world. Not in this world. That wouldn't have happened in this world. No, because Vulcans have been, been conquered and the Vulcans have been eradicated. Yep. Well, they haven't been eradicated, have they? Yeah, but having to find them is going to be difficult because they're basically the only you have to find I mean, the rebels and they're uh, all in hiding. Right. They'd be well, in hiding out and about. Oh, okay, but they have the entire. And, and who's going to show up? Who's going to show up with Picard looking for them? Or the president of this time, who's going to believe them? You, you've you got, don't right, have you've got to General have, Picard like, coming you to just, look for you. Yeah, but they've got the whole government versus uh, instead of hey, let's wait and figure out a good plan. They're like, no, we've got to do this now and hook a Borg queen to our ship. They what actually could go wrong. They actually there's more to it than that because uh, Seven of Nine, who is the president, yep. right of Earth, uh, of Earth. Yeah. Uh, her husband is suspicious and yep. he's with the. Yeah, they can only fake it for so long. Right. Right. This is all, this all goes down in a matter of like a day or two. Their yeah, because, because Picard, Picard uh, on this day that they're on, he has to behead or kill the yep. Borg Queen on stage in front of the entire uh, world, essentially. And other people too, so I guess that does make sense. Right, yeah. right. So it's not like they can hang around because they're all in jeopardy of being discovered. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, uh, that's that's kind of what they do. They plug the Borg Queen into Rios's ship, and uh, she does the calculations and does the time jump and gets them back to uh, the year twenty twenty four, and. Um, we do lose a team member along the way. They do. They do lose a team member. Uh, um, what's his face? Uh, yeah. Elnor. Oh, Elnor. Elnor. Yep. Who had just uh, been enrolled in Starfleet Academy the last time we saw him. Now he's um, dying in the uh, La Serena sick bay because he gets shot um, trying to escape. So mm -hmm. now. Let me bring the tie-in here back to Assignment Earth um, to the new season of Picard. So Picard figures out that he needs to get to um, San Francisco area uh, or Los Angeles and look for this person called a, a watcher. And um, <clears throat> the Borg Queen, because the, the Borg Queen sort of has a unique relationship with time and space and dimensions, um, she understands the what has changed in the time stream to create this new uh, parallel universe, this this bizarre perversion of what we know as the Federation. And um, she knows that Picard has to find this watcher and she knows where the watcher is, how to find it. And uh, so she has these coordinates and Picard takes the coordinates and beams to this location and uh, where he beams to, uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, Chris, but he finds uh, runs into an old friend. And uh, this he already saw the, the picture, I'm sure. <laughs> this this old friend <clears throat> um, 
he believes can lead him to a watcher. And so it turns out that's true. Mm-hmm. And um, so he actually does get to meet uh, meet up with the watcher. Now, the tie-in is that um, uh, this uh, friend that he meets tells him that, yeah, the watchers, they're actually uh, uh, normally, they call themselves supervisors. We call them watchers because they're assigned to watch and shepherd uh, the lives of individuals that are important to the future through their particular t- path in in okay. this world, right? Mm-hmm. They're called a supervisor, similar to Gary Seven, who said he was a class one supervisor. Um, but uh, that's not the only link there. So when he eventually meets up with this supervisor, um, which uh, is kind of a whole other interesting surprise development as to who this supervisor mm-hmm. slash watcher is, but uh, the supervisor takes Picard and says, uh, take my hand. And so Picard uh, takes her hand and suddenly they uh, beam out, but they don't beam out like we beam out. They beam out like we saw Gary Seven beam in and out in sort of a, 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 a beam out cloud rather than sort of like a stream of particles. It's kind of like a um, a grayish kind of a cloud thing, which is exactly the way Gary Seven kind of beamed in and around when he was on Earth. So I think there's going to be a tie-in with whatever race uh, Gary Seven came from as to what race is currently the Watchers on Earth. So let me know when you watch the episode look for some tie-ins there and see if you agree. You might want to, if you, if you're not familiar with, um, assignment earth episode, you might want to watch that episode before you watch yeah, episode four of Picard. <clears throat> so I'd be interested, uh, folks that are listening here, if you've seen, uh, assignment earth and uh, episode four of Picard, if, if, uh, you have a, a similar take on the whole thing, or if you uh, see it differently. So that'd be a good, um, audience, comment i think uh question what do you think uh is there a tie-in here with assignment earth and gary seven so and at the end of that episode um he meets someone yes that's the supervisor right right who's all dressed in black so yeah and and right and someone he knows there's the there's the supervisor um so uh, right. I don't want. You probably recognize the supervisor, don't you, Chris? Maybe not. All right, it'll, it'll hit. It'll hit me when I go back to watch it. Yeah, it'll yeah. it'll hit you when you watch you'll it. Get, you'll get it. But she's dressed yeah. all in black, just like the Gary Seven guy. Gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty interesting. Uh, if that is indeed a tie-in with that, uh, for folks that may not be familiar with uh, with that episode. Uh, assignment earth there was a a whole plan uh where gene roddenberry was planning to spin off that concept into a whole separate series where oh. there would be this gary seven and um who was uh was it terry gar yes 
yeah, yeah. Terry Gar that was in yeah. that. Uh, she was uh, Terry Seven's admin and uh, administrative assistant. And the whole plan was to spin off a whole new series where Gary Seven and Terry Gar and whatever, they were part of this alien group that was on Earth to kind of shepherd Earth through this difficult period in its history. And uh, uh, unfortunately, that series never got picked up by uh, uh, CBS, but uh, would have been an interesting series. And uh, who knows, maybe uh, depending upon how this episode of Picard goes, maybe that could spin off into a whole new another uh, series for uh, Star Trek, too. You never know. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, where are we at here on time? Yeah, we're uh, we're well over, I think. So, Us should... over time on an episode <laughs> never, uh, never, never have imagined so well uh i hope all of you are enjoying first contact day uh you know better best way to to celebrate for me is to get on and watch some star trek so if you're not caught up on some of this stuff this is a good time to do it spend some time and and uh, watch some of these episodes and and definitely check out uh, the original series assignment earth episode it's a classic um, any uh, final thoughts from anyone else? Uh, no, looking forward to jumping back in the Picard. So, okay, yeah. sounds good. All right, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in for this episode. Um, have a nice week. We will catch you next time where we'll have some fantastic and uh, uh, mentally stimulating uh, discussion on some of the new stuff coming out. Of course, we'll like. probably have some updates on Halo too, right? Like, subscribe. Seth? Seth, you look confused. Yeah, I was going to say, don't overpromise, Bill. <laughs> that's, that's stimulating the, uh, might be overpromising a little bit. That should be our motto overpromise, underdeliver. Well, that's what we already have as our motto. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Well, thanks, folks. And we will catch you next time. And um, until then, take care. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit our website at galacticdriftwood.space or subscribe to us on YouTube. And now, please deactivate your cranial downlinks, collect your towels, and be sure to watch your step as you exit our gravity well. <laughs>